0: We are I. Okay, Bridget. So we were just talking um, a little bit briefly before we started recording here that um, just like the changes, I was kind of like outlining some of mine, but you know, with all the changes that you've gone through, it's changing your practice. um, You know, like you said, with the book, you're kind of helping or, you know, like there was an avenue where people could go there and get information. But now you found yourself doing these YouTube videos and these Instagram videos to help kind of facilitate that information a little bit more. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like, because things are ever evolving, like how do you find having to make so many changes so regularly and not knowing like when and how these changes are going to stop or what what changes you're going to have to make next and when we can land on something stable? Are you enjoying this or are you looking forward to that day? Just uh, fill me in.
1: Well, I think we're all kind of looking forward to some sense of stability, um, you know, but the I, I finally accepted the fact that this is just like riding a wave,
0: mm-hmm. you know.
1: And we just have to, at least for me, I feel like I just have to accept and allow, and not try to control things too much, and um, use intuition more, um, because it's kind of like trying to find your way around a strange room in the dark. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like so real, like using the
0: force. (laughs) Yeah. Have you guys gone through like like, a lot of substantial like changes that, you know, like I was like, like like a lot of occupational changes, like those all really happened. Like at the beginning, you know, like for me, there's a lot of work that I did, you know, in larger groups, in smaller spaces. And it's actually funny because like a lot of uh, people in my industry, We've been creating smaller and smaller spaces with more and more people in them, just, you know, find ways to be able to, you know, make more money, you know, find ways to be able to, you know, accommodate more people, you know, like all these things. And now it's completely flipped on, like you (laughs) said, and there's really no coming out of that, you know, like the, in the foreseeable future, it's like, well, are you going to be able to have 30, 35 people in a spin class, you know, in like a. 400 square foot space, you know, are gonna be able to have, you know, like 40, 50 people doing hot yoga, you know, in a 300 square foot space. You know, like, where's the balance out of all? Like, a lot of these things, are, like, that's what, like, we've been kind of faced with. But, um, you know, like, with you guys and like, just like day to day life, you know, has there been a lot of changes? You know, like, in since the cases started going back up, or now they're getting so, like, you know, crazier with presidential changes, like. Have you guys noticed any just more like everyday, day-to-day changes?
1: Well, there's definitely day-to-day change with the infection rate going up again because people's angst is rising with that. And for the most part, at least where I live, people are being pretty cautious. I, I mean, this is a, a generalization Um, And so I know myself and other practitioners are seeing a drop in clientele coming in because either either they're sick or their significant other is sick or one of their children is sick. And if the child is sick, not only obviously can they not go to work because the child's not in person in school if they're sick, but... They're also at home until they're able to see a doctor, order a test, schedule the test, get the test, and get the result from the test. So, pretty much in my area, the, the quickest turnaround time for that is about five days. And so, you know, if somebody misses an appointment because their child's sick, they have to wait for their negative COVID test because for a number of reasons, they want to not be spreading it. I can't really let anybody in if there's a suspected contact, yada, yada, yada. So it's it's changed as, you know, at least in my own practice, I'm seeing that. And I, I'm sure that internal dining in restaurants is going to go back down in this area and probably eventually get shut down again Mm -hmm. um people are going to gyms to some extent but i i would imagine that if the infection rate gets much much higher that our governor will um end up either minimizing that greatly or nixing that and then um then the other thing is what's going to happen when joe biden gets into office and then like if he gets into office (laughs) because you know we still have this it's so unbelievable for many people that Trump even won the election the the first time that it's like you know oh you can't just say oh that's ridiculous what he's trying to do because you know for many people it was ridiculous that he even ran for president and then it was ridiculous that he could even win and now it's like OK, well, maybe you can pull this up, too. You know, it's like that little thing. And the... so until Biden is actually sworn in, I think everyone's kind of like on the edge of their seats.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and then when he gets in, what's going to happen? So I don't think that he would shut everything down completely um, because there's the science isn't supportive of that, especially in terms of the economy. Yeah. Um, that you know, so I think that he'll do similar to what Cuomo's doing in New York State, and just isolate a large affected air the the microcluster regions and do like, you know, little tiny shuts shutdowns or whatever partial shutdowns in those areas. And what that looks like, I, I don't know. You know, we still don't all know yet.
0: What have you changed like in, in your personal life? Like, did you go? Um you know to eat lots before and you don't anymore you know like did you guys do like a lot of public stuff like outside and you've cut that way back like yeah or- like i um
1: i'd teach at yoga studios you know i'd teach workshops and i'd teach workshops in my clinic i'd have open houses and i'd have the two treatment rooms going and somebody waiting in the lobby and um you know i'd i'd go I don't know we'd go to concerts all summer and the ballet and the orchestra and the the opera and go out to dinner and yeah none of that none of that and even like we like i even wanted to bring her for ice skating my daughter for ice skating lessons and they weren't requiring masks on the ice at first and with a bunch of little kids in an introductory program with their parents with them on the ice i You know, I didn't think that was too cool. They just changed that rule. So I'll be bringing her in January if if that isn't closed by then. Um, So, yeah, a lot has changed. Like, I don't feel like I have the freedom to take Calliope the places I used to, like the Children's Museum or there's these huge indoor gym play areas or the gymnastics class at the Y or ballet class or just to go see her friends, you know, like all of that has changed. Um, you know, some of her friends, all all of her friends are people that are trying to, their parents are people that are trying to stay on the safe side, you know, because they've got elderly parents they still want to see or whatever, and, um, and so everybody's kind of started to re-isolate. It feels a little March-esque yeah. right now,
0: yeah. See, and so these, like, bring up just, like, there's there's a whole bunch of things that um, it's your time that I want to bring up. But, like, the the interesting thing to me is, like, where it seems like people are starting to kind of self-isolate more. But it's, like, I've tried to look back at it and say, is this just, this is just, like, what it is every winter. You know, like, you start to see people kind of a little bit less. I'm, like, is this as different as what I think it is, whether I'm not seeing as many people or doing as much? Or is this just a lot of like typical winter-like behavior with a little bit of self-isolation on top of it? I've been kind of challenging myself to think about it because I think like a lot of us want to think like things are so much different right now because of COVID-19. But I'm like, how much of it is just normal? Like this is what we do every year. Like every year it gets cold around this time and we all start to do less and see less people and not go as many places. But it's like now it's like, oh, it's that damn COVID-19. And I'm like, think it is as much, you know maybe like I'll do like a maybe like a 70 30 split or you know something along those lines but you know like yeah. even when they say like limit the amount of people that you're in contact with I'm like I actually not besides like working you know like I actually don't do a lot you know like right. I, I I don't see that many people normally so I'm like well how much am I actually restricted with the people I see because like most people if you ask them what they did before when they got home from work they come home sit in front of the tv maybe watch a bunch of netflix play on their phone but like now they're playing on their phone complaining about how they can't go and do anything it's like well even when you could you weren't doing it anyway and that's always been my biggest complaint with people is you just sit at home and do nothing but now that so there's a lot of these like interesting kind of like concepts i'm like tossing around like in my mind about like how much different are things and then you get into the confusing mixed messages because we have our provincial government, which is like your state government telling us one thing. And then we have like our our local health authority. So like here we have kind of like uh, in the Vancouver region, we have, um, we have like Vancouver Health. And then just outside of Vancouver in the suburbs, we have Fraser Health, cause it's the Fraser Valley region. Um, now in those two different um, like health regions you have different um rules and regulations that you have to abide by and then our provincial government has something different on top of both of those so where my point behind that is like we talk about the ice skating it's like our provincial government has said all kids 12 and under don't need to wear masks at all no matter where you're at no matter what you're doing no matter what public space you're in and all that kind of stuff it's like if you're 12 and under mask is not necessary but then okay. you get into like the Fraser Health and Vancouver Health and Coastal Health, and, you know, like, and then it kind of shrinks it down where it's like, well, yeah, you do have to have, kids have to have masks, in, you know, in these situations. So it's like the whirlwind I find of like information is just, it's so hard to deal with. And this is what we were talking about before we started recording, because even when you're talking about COVID tests, we just on this, in our um, local university or college here um, where I live. You just drive down the side road, you pull into it, you go through this like labyrinth that they have set up in the parking lot, you pull Mm -hmm. up, you roll down your window, somebody shoves this thing in your nose, then they stick it in a bag, you drive away and within 48 hours, they text you and tell you your results. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's like your guys' process is so much more seemingly complicated than that. Um, You know, but it's like, there's just this whole mixed messages you don't know what to believe or understand you know and then you get into like where you guys are going through this presidential change you know like on top of that you know like where um like do you guys find it to be like very confusing is that the the air down there or does it seem like everybody's kind of on the same page in new york you know or is this just a problem that we're experiencing here
1: i think that it's i think it's everywhere and i think that there's a lot of confusion and a lot of misinformation to the point where a lot of people don't know what to believe or they just believe what they believe regardless of anything else and um and i think that these discussions are good like your podcast is encouraging people to think differently and to think for themselves and and that's what people i think need to do too um And, and so, you know, I, I just, I, and I think people aren't used to doing that Mm -hmm. and with all the misinformation and the abundance of information and opinions that it's very difficult to sift through. And, you know, if you're already not used to sifting through things and thinking about things philosophically, then it's going to be even more unsettling for you because there isn't going to be that same kind of inner discernment of of what feels like the truth and what doesn't. And it's unsettling. And not only that, but I think it's making people really ungrounded. Mm -hmm. That combined with the uncertainty in general, combined with the empathic picking up on of everyone else's angst, Combined with all of the technology that we have to deal with right now, I think is really, really making people scattered. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I'm like. I had a, a doctor's office call to confirm an appointment. And this was this is just one example of many, but it was one that I I just I don't know. I just laughed because I was like, you know, it's just nobody can help it right now it seems and she called to confirm the appointment and she said it was wednesday the day before it was date wise and then she goes oh no i'm sorry and then she said it again
0: yeah. like
1: the wrong date for the for the wrong day of the week and then she's like so we'll see you then and you know yeah. like left the, and i'm like all right whatever so it's just a perfect example of of where everyone's head is at like i'm surprised anybody shows up for their appointment on time right now yeah. because it's it's really hard to keep track of everything
0: yeah and you know and this is actually i was talking to my my father about this um you know just about like an hour ago and uh you know it really seems like now if we were ever in an era where before COVID 19 we were a byproduct of too much information It's Mm. exacerbated that so much more now. And this is a prime example where it's like, I think we're not doing ourselves an actual service by having so much readily available access to information. Because like, then you get things like this, because, you know, like on top of all of that, trying to juggle it all, you know, in Alberta, so Alberta is the province next to BC. Um, there's a a non-partisan law firm that whenever there's major um like breaches of like ethics or um you know like human rights issues you know like they're they're the law firm kind of in canada that takes it on um so about a month ago they they told the alberta public health officer and the premier and the mayors of calgary and edmonton the two biggest cities that if you further lock down this province, we're officially putting in a notice that we're suing the province and you are gonna be um, labeled in this lawsuit for restricting people's human rights. Um, you know, they had their multiple reasons. You know, like a lot of them are like the basis for their case. And this is starting to be a really big argument in Canada, um, Western Canada. I'm just kind of following the narrative, is because they've changed the definition of cases. Like cases only used to be uh, before the like people who were symptomatic. But now they've included people who are asymptomatic in cases Mm -hmm. in regards to COVID-19. And this is where the huge spike in these numbers have come from is these calculating in these asymptomatic people Mm -hmm. or like people who were never hospitalized. And that's kind of like the foundation for this lawsuit is saying that you are specifically manipulating these numbers because you've changed the definitions of these terms to be able to accommodate your political agenda you know, and this is violating the human rights of you know, Canadians. They're using Albertans, but this is a case that's being, you know, fought there, but it's actually being fought on behalf of all Canadians. Um, like I, I've, again, it's like one of those things where there's just, that's another side of it. If you choose to look at it. And I feel like all these different narratives, because there's so much information where people want to turn a blind eye to things that they maybe should be taking into consideration because it's just so overwhelming like do you listen to news well then what news station do you listen to a left-leaning one or a right-leaning one you know do you can you find you know like non-partisan news not really you know do you search that on the internet well where's the good information on the internet you know like why is this law firm suing this province now and you know like why can we just go get like a quickie um you know like a quickie turnaround covid test but you guys can't and you know, um, another big controversy like out here, too, is um, in Vancouver, we have a street called Hastings Street. It's for like a lot of homeless people, a lot of drug addicts, a lot of men- people who are mentally unwell. Where they've it's a famous street in Canada. Like it's got better over the years, but it's just be notorious. It's kind of like the skid row of Canada. Um, well, the provincial government here said like these are going to be some of the first people in B.C. who get a vaccine you know, on top of like doctors it's going to be doctors and a lot of these homeless people and these people who are mentally well and these uh, drug addicts. But there's been no major spike in these, this category of people dying who should be the most vulnerable to it. Like their immune systems are just like, obviously amazing because like no masks, sharing needles, living on the street, like all like just rampant disease of everything. But there's been no spike in COVID-19 deaths. But the only spike there's been in is um, overdose deaths. Yeah. But then, so a lot of people are now, like, have said about this being questioning, like, well, why? And then it's just like, well, if people who are immune compromised, this category of people is arguably probably the most immune compromised. But there's been no spike in death. So like it's like there's just all of this information. Like, how do you ever sift through something uh-huh. like that?
1: And the other thing is, is they don't have all the information yet. Yeah. I mean, they don't even know if when you get both of your doses of that vaccine, if you'll be able to transmit the virus still. They don't know that yet.
0: Hmm. Um, Well, and the allergic reactions that are starting to happen now, like I don't know if you've been following that. Have you heard any information? Do you have any kind of in-depth detail on the allergic reactions? They're
1: they're certainly not, you know, focusing on that. I've been looking for it and and I've been been working a lot this week, so I haven't had a chance to look for it as hard as I might ordinarily. But um, I've been hearing through the grapevine that there are, like if you – have multiple allergies or multiple chemical sensitivities that you shouldn't have the vaccine but I don't know you know what the mechanism of action is behind that or where that warning comes from or why it's not being publicized more because if if having multiple allergies like what's the definition of that I'm not sure what the medical definition is if it means like you're allergic to you know 50 things or you're allergic to four things I don't know I have to look that mm-hmm. up but um, most people have an allergy to something. Yeah. <laughs> so where, what kind of allergy it is, does that matter? I, I just don't know enough yet to, and maybe they don't either. I mean, I don't know. Uh, a friend of mine with a mast cell disorder and, a, and multiple chemical sensitivities is the one who originally told me that this story came out the other day. And so she can't have the vaccine and she's an essential worker. So, um, yeah, yeah see, and,
0: like, and then it brings in to another point behind that, like where it's the obviously, then you get into the contentious issue of like, do you want to be the proverbial guinea pig in this situation to be able to find out what kinks may need to be ironed out about it? Are you pro vaccine anyway? Or like how they skirt it around? Because, like, like, obviously, like nobody can be forced. I don't know, it's like in the States, but in Canada, you can be forced to get it, like a vaccine per se. But the way they backdoor that is like, well, you can't go here and do this unless you have a vaccine. So it's like, there's this sneaky backdoor, like, kids can't go to public schools unless if they have XYZ vaccine.
1: Have they made? Have they done that with the COVID vaccine yet? Have they started to introduce legislation for that there?
0: Um, there's talk around it. Um, but I feel I don't know if Society can handle another major, major contentious issue like this. Like, like I, I'm not for being forced to do anything, you know, Mm -hmm. and especially something like this, that's so experimental, you know, like, you know, it's like telling somebody who's scared to swim, to jump in the water, because trust me, the water's not that deep. And it's like, right. like that person's just not going to feel comfortable doing it. So to push them in is not the answer. It's going to elicit a
1: huge reactivity.
0: Yeah. You know, so it's like, because there's that, because like the one thing that I've noticed and I'm wondering now, like how bad is, cause you have like that where then, you know, people's backs are getting against the wall, but the anxiety that's been created around COVID-19, like it's not like the anxiety that has manifested because of COVID-19 and the fear-mongering and the misinformation and, you know, now you might be forced to get a vaccine not. How long is the anxiety and are people going to have like PTSD or, you know, yeah. like, you know, I because of this whole event, yeah. because in Ontario, just um, north of you guys, uh, there was a, a guy who got told by the one of the cities in Ontario, they had to take down... He put um, like a huge tarp over his entire house. And like his garage area, like when I see things like that starting to make news, that's what worries me. Because on the flip side of that, there's also the person that's like, well, I'm going to be up in arms if you force me to take the vaccine. You know, like you have these two polarizing sides now where it's like, how many more different issues can we have extreme polarization on? before like every like there's just been so much like like 2020 has been a year of just like people being frazzled and like where's that point where like everybody's just pushed too far that's what worries me about this whole vaccine thing is i'm not comfortable taking something that got rushed through pushed through you know and now they're starting to find out that people are having allergic reactions to it and then pfizer releases a report saying don't worry it's not that bad there was only a few and it's like but there was only a few people in your test in your model and your modeling was so short, you know, and it's
1: reactions. Did they have? Did it say
0: it, it did, but I can't remember exactly what they are. And granted they they're not major reactions. The problem to me is that like, if those are the ones that are immediately present, what are some of the things that are happening that you're not catching or that are going to be present in six months or a year or yeah. Like things like that. And we forget to think like that. Like, that's what I always say to people. I'm like, it's not that like I don't want to eat donuts for right now. I'm worried about what's going to happen in 20 years from now. But like, we're so short term thinking that's like, well, if I get this COVID vaccine now, I don't have to wear a mask in a store, but in, 15 years from now you get cancer, but nobody's making the correlation between right. your cancer and that COVID-19, right. um, you know, like vaccine. Those are the things that I have a really tough time with because, you know, like my health is such a priority to me. Like I go yeah. like to ab- absurd extents, you know, like i you know, got my vitamin D sublingual spray that I'm like four or five times a day, you know, and have it. And like, I sit in front of this like therapy lamp, which helps with the vitamin D, like obviously I do it every podcast. I'm in the cold tank, sauna, like I work out, I'm diligent on what I eat, all those kind of things. Like, that's what I want for my health. You know, like, I don't want to throw these like monkey wrenches of question marks into it where it's like, I keep doing all this stuff, but I end up getting some adverse health effect because I was forced to take something. And I know a lot of people like that. And I know I have a distorted pool of people to choose from because all the people in my life all think the same way that I do because we're health and fitness like orientated and stuff. But Um, like what, what's your thoughts and opinions behind like the vaccine? Like, is it something that you would take right away? Like, would you get it for your daughter? Like, where, where's your, where do you lie there? (laughs) Uh, you know, I'm
1: not anti-vaccine. However, um, I think some of them are more necessary than others. And I am not in a hurry to get this one. Mm. Um, you know, I, I quite. If you want me to answer the question, quite honestly, I I am firmly established in the belief that I already had COVID once, and I had it pretty bad. Not bad enough to go to the hospital, but in terms of something that you deal with at home, it, it yeah. pretty it really sucked, and it lasted a long time. Mm-hmm. And so I feel as though even though I may not have the antibodies, that there should be some T cell recognition Mm
0: -hmm.
1: of it. So that, you know, there, I I would imagine that there'd be, and this isn't the reason why I don't want to have the vaccine, but it's one more thing that makes me think they haven't, they don't know enough yet, because if they were able to study, you know, the T cell reactivity in the absence of antibodies, like after the antibodies leave the system, then, you know maybe those people wouldn't need to get one anyway right so there's one thing but um i just i just think it was really rushed through and i think everybody's scared and panicking and and worried about the economy and stuff but um I I just, I don't want to, I don't want to get it. And I sure as hell don't want to give it to my daughter and they can't even give it to kids yet. Like there's no, they haven't even, don't even have the, any information on that. Mm-hmm. Cause they don't even know what's going on with kids in terms of COVID, right?
0: Yeah.
1: So, you know, like it's hard with vaccinations because people ask me about it all the time. And it's, I feel like it's such a personal decision because I don't feel like any of us really have all the information. So you really have to go with your gut on it and what you feel comfortable doing, like anything else. Like there might be science on it, but the science can change in five or 10 years. Mm -hmm. Like that HPV vaccine. I don't want my daughter to get that either. Because I mean, I know there are, there are a couple of people who've come into the clinic who have had direct family members or their friend's daughter who had a severe reaction to it. And they want to start giving that to kids when they're eight years old here in New York State. There's actually a bill that they're trying to pass so that New York State's a mandatory vaccine for females. And so, you know, if that happens, I might move out of the state because of it. And I'm not the only one. And so New York state is also trying, there's a bill now about COVID vaccinations. And it's such, you know, I have no problem wearing a mask. I will wear two masks. Um, It doesn't, that doesn't bother me. It doesn't, I mean, I don't want to have to do it like for eight hours a day, of course, but being, doing what I'm doing right now, I have to. But I don't mind wearing a mask into the store, mind wearing a mask on public transit, you know, it's not, it's not a huge infringement on on my well-being i don't feel however having a vaccine forced upon me is definitely an infringement in a number of ways when this is such an iffy thing it's not like it's not like you definitely i don't it's just it's just such everything is such a gray area you know yeah, you don't sure. know if you're going to get it you don't know if you get it how bad it's going to be um it's just everything is so uncertain and that's that's why i feel like people yes there is there is almost too much information out there but like you said we need to find like the clearest information Mm -hmm. and really try and feel i think what intuitively feels like the best thing not what our opinion is not you know what we get necessarily pissed off about or fearful of, but what our intuition is really telling us about stuff. And and we need to incorporate that more into our decision-making as a whole, um, COVID or not. Uh, And now, you know, I've had, I had a client come in last week who was like, you know, you're going to get the vaccine. And I was like, well, I don't want to be one of the first ones to get it, you know? And he's like, why not? You know, like, and then hasn't rescheduled yet. So, you know, my mind is going there too. Like we've, I, I felt the divide with him in that moment
0: Yeah.
1: that, you know, I could be overthinking it, but at the same time, I did feel something in that moment. Like, mm-hmm. um, like some part of him lost a little respect for me because I wasn't going to rush out and get as a healthcare practitioner, I wasn't going to rush out and get the COVID vaccine. Yeah. Um,
0: Whereas he was. So, and also, so the there's like, there's a lot of, so like, again, there you see the polarization over the vaccine thing, like what we were talking about at the beginning. And but like, I, the, the fundamental part that I have the hardest time with is that this land that we plant our two feet on every single day was created in a way for a way that the government should never ever be telling you that you have to get a vaccine that like it's not the government's job it's not the government's responsibility that's the thing like when you pass a bill saying you have to get this vaccine I think it's massively overstepping why we even tried to find new dirt to stand on 300 years ago or 250 years ago whenever it was you know like that i have a really really hard time with you know on top of that is this now entity that is creating these bills and passing these laws and making these things mandatory is notorious for lying to us, no matter whether or not you're in Canada or the United States. The the government is so full of shit most of the time that, but you want me to believe you this time. Right. But why? Like, why should I like, why should we, you know, like, like this is not the time where like you've been honest, like, at all. Like you, the government is being so dishonest in so many different ways, you know, in regards to COVID-19, just in regards to this, but it's like, okay, well, now that we have this vaccine, we have your best interest in mind. Yeah, we might have lied to you along the way, but trust me, this is gonna be okay. And if you maybe die 10 years earlier, sorry, my bad, but we're still gonna get other people to do it anyway. You know, like,
1: yeah. Well, it goes along with, you know, well, you know, we're sorry that you're going to lose your business or your health insurance or your rent money, but we need to take a vacation. So your stimulus is going to have to wait too. Yeah. You know, it's like this, it's, it's, it's not good.
0: See, and And, like with that, that is a point that I was talking about with people about three weeks ago is that the second that you mandate people cannot operate their business anymore and you take away their income or tell them that they have to collect these benefits like we've had way more benefits than what you guys um, have had down in the states but i'm like should you is it not ethically or morally just that if you make that decision as a a public health officer saying that i'm going to shut your business down and We'll offer you this program where we're going to give you a thousand dollars a month. You should be ethically and morally obligated to take that same benefit, like forfeit your salary that you're getting paid and collect the same benefits that other people are to understand why people in real time are making the decisions that they're making when they break your rules, you know, that you set out is i think far less people like like the people that i typically know that are breaking the rules or like the the these things these suggestions they keep coming up with it's not that they're trying to be assholes they have to like you like when you're backed into where like business is here when you get this like um nationalized um, income for um your employees well, but if you've opened up a business in the last year, you don't qualify. I know a lot of people have opened up a business in the last year and qualify for none of the subsidies because they don't have a year's previous income to be able to show what that is for their business. So the first year is the hardest year of a business in great times. Never mind this. So it's like, understand why people are doing what they're doing. Don't just get mad at them and lock them down and do all these things more and saying like this, I'm going to do this in your best interest. It's like, sure. no, no, you don't understand what's in my best interest. Like I don't eat as much. Now my stress levels are I can't even go to the gym to work out my anxieties through the roof. I used to use the gym to manage that. Now I can't go there anymore. Now you've made my life financially harder for me. Um, You know, like the foreclosure rates and evictions here are through the roof right now because like people just can't, you know, afford to be able to make these payments because like, you know, like we all know eight or nine months is a long time for your income to be like impacted so much. You know, but when somebody's still making, you know, like a quarter million dollars a year who's making these decisions and very little financial impact to their life, I just think that is so wrong.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's just something that just hurts me so much.
1: I personally feel like there should be a set salary, and if you are going to run for office, this is my little like solution for everything. Uh, If you're gonna, if you're choosing to be a public servant in that capacity, that you you are also choosing to settle for what you know, the middle of the road income people have in this country, so that you at least get some sense of reality mm-hmm. as you're in that office. Like, you shouldn't be able to ha- to to run off to some mansion somewhere. You should have to live in, like, Row housing for the rest of the policy, you know, they all live on some kind of a campus or something that should be because then it sort of normalizes it gives but when you're like this multimillionaire or multi or billionaire, whatever. And you just don't have any sense of the reality of what what the majority of people alive on this planet are going through. How can you possibly that's not, that's not being a public servant. That's being like, that's just not, that's yeah. not my mission. It's like was- making
0: the public serve you for like your like agenda, wanting like this yeah. lifestyle because that's always my concept, like in my whole adult life when it comes to this, that it's, you should never go into office for a lifestyle or an image or a clout. And that's what a lot of people go into office for is like the lifestyle, the image and the clout that goes along with it. It's like, those should be like the last things that come into consideration when you run for any kind of office representing your fellow like human beings, you know, because like, again, at the end of the day, like how, how can you say like shutting down, like all these people's businesses is in their best interest if they're losing their minds at home because they're losing their business and now may be losing their home and may not be able to eat or provide for their family.
1: And um, you, know, you mentioned this before and the, the client I had right before we got on today is a psychotherapist who was just saying that they're already putting out messages to her peer community, um, psychologists and psychotherapists and, psychi- and psychiatrists um and social workers that things are going to get worse even after the vaccine because so many people have been knocked down so low and have had like flare-ups of of their conditions or have ptsd from all of this that that their profession is going to be reeling and trying to figure out even new ways of helping people because it's just it's just such a problem mm-hmm. that you know the mental health piece is is huge and um you know, I read an article about a dentist who said like he opened back up after the lockdown, and he's seeing all these people with cracked teeth like he's never seen before because there's just so they're experiencing oh, yeah. so much tension and they're clenching and grinding, and you know it's it's a it's um it's a huge problem. And, um, and, you know, in in all of these things that we're talking about, it's just, you know, I don't see it as being any different from the way the world has ever worked. Mm -hmm. And I don't really see it going in a direction where that's ever going to change. Unfortunately, I'd love to see it get better. You know, I'd love to see there be a, a national happiness quotient like they have in Bhutan. But um, I don't I don't foresee that happening, you know, in a large scale across the globe. It would be beautiful if it did. But, um, you know, this is, it makes me think that, you know, I always kind of go back to the yoga teachings are sort of like my kind of root doctrine for everything. And um, like the... Bhagavad Gita and the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali and talking about how, you know, there's different levels of reality and one layer of reality of life on this planet is that there always is this sort of dynamic playing out like a play on a stage and how, how connected we are to that and how we're able to manage ourselves mentally and emotionally in the, in the face of that. Is really what uh, the yoga teachings are about, and and the Taoist teachings. Really, it's like you know, it 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 makes you think about what's really important, and and um, and how you can shift yourself to to be in in a space where you know you're not necessarily as affected all the time by it
0: um you bring up a really good point there which is this is always been like a a topic that's never been like really discussed like why why not have like an abundance of like public service announcements or like even like if you're gonna do something like that our national government should take on is why not if you just had a channel that was dedicated on tv where people could just go and it's like These are the things that you can do to focus on your health and your well-being right now when things are in such disarray. And it's just a constant feed, a constant loop of like talking about yoga, like then offering yoga, talking about like, you know, Dallas philosophy, and then like showing like or explaining how you can incorporate that into your life, talking about health and nutrition, like things that could actually be beneficial. Because like, I love what you're saying the contrast like what our provincial government is doing here so government the have to look well like liquor stores here are owned by the government and privately so government has interest in them the government solution here for people's mental health and granted they probably not thinking this way but you would pick up on this they've decided to open up liquor stores now two hours earlier um, because the amount of alcohol consumption has gone up like 25 or 30 percent since COVID-19 started right. so it's like their solution is like well we should just open earlier because that's a great idea you know because alcohol consumption has gone up but logically you think maybe we shouldn't open up as earlier close earlier because liquor consumption has gone up you know right. do you know what I mean like 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 these are the things but like there's no emphasis on like their health there's no emphasis on like wellness and like we said like there's There's countries doing things before COVID-19, there's philosophies, there's methodologies like out there that like, why doesn't anybody front run that? You know, like, or more importantly, like why isn't a government entity, instead of trying to pass a bill, forcing you to get a vaccine saying like, hey, like look, maybe with what we know now, it's more likely than not, if we were all healthier, this might not have been like this, or we might've been able to of this off or like, the focus and emphasis being there, like actually like teaching and like educating people because it's like, you know, unless if you search out like information, you know, like what we're talking about right now, there's not a whole lot like that's offered to the general public of being like, Hey, you know, like go buy one of these books or, you know, like go look at what this country is doing, you know, like go try some of these things and figure out ways to, you know, be, you know, like healthier, more whole as a person. So that when the, all this stuff is, done, whatever that looks like, that you don't have as bad anxiety, you don't have as bad depression, you know, you don't have as bad like PTSD, like, you know, maybe some ways where you can manage these things, because I would find it hard to believe that prescription medication sales haven't gone up. Oh, I bet they
1: have. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: you know what I mean? And And like you said, if they've gone up now, and if like alcohol consumption has gone up now, like what you said with your friend. We haven't even seen the worst of that storm yet. The second wave or big wave of that is to come, you know, maybe in six months or a year or who knows, two years from now. Well, what's it going to be like then with all of these prescription medications and alcohol consumption and all that kind of stuff where, you know, then people moving to places like Oregon, it's like, well, I can do heroin now, don't have to worry about it. So maybe that's the solution, you know, like where people, the pendulum swings so far over because they're just searching for answers because they're just not getting them. Yeah. 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 It's really like I I I find that, you know, again, even like we're talking about like the vaccines and then what's in the public's best interest, you know, even the information that our governments typically give us about like how to eat healthier or what's even good for us, because ironically, this is a question I was gonna ask you today. Um is like they fumbled that because of, you know, lobbyists, you know, lobbying for dairy, right. lobbyists, lobbying for grain, all that kind of stuff. And like, again, like this is like that distorted information. Maybe this is just a good segue to kind of kick out of like the COVID-19 conversations and stuff though. But the one thing I wanted to ask you to, because there's always a big conversation around people, like how much I should eat, what I should eat, when I should eat it. I wanted to talk to you about like meal frequency and like what your opinion is, on how much people need to like eat in a day, like how frequently they should eat because obviously intermittent fasting, fasting has become very clickbaity and popular over the last like um, couple of years. Like obviously most people over consume food in general anyway. Um, when you give advice to people or like for yourself or, you know, like what you believe in, what do you, what do you think people's meal frequency should be in a day or how that all comes about?
1: Well, it, Generally speaking, I mean, I would follow Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine guidelines. So it would be like two or three meals a day, biggest meal earlier in the day by noon if possible, and then a second meal by five if possible, and you don't snack in between. And if you're going to have fruit, you have it an hour before or after you wait um, so that it's not pre-fermenting the contents of your stomach. And, um, that's, those are the biggest guidelines I would say.
0: So it's not, you shouldn't eat fruit in conjunction. There's a lot of people, well, that's like a healthy alternative to a dessert, right? You know, it's having some fruit after dinner or like after a meal or something along those lines. Like, so you shouldn't eat like fruits, um, too close to a meal because it, uh, pre ferments the food of your meal? It's
1: part of food combining it's called. And so there are certain food combinations that don't mix well in the gut if they're taken in at the same time. And fruit with anything else is pretty much one of those that's one of the main ones.
0: Okay. Yeah. Is there um and then you said like before noon and is that in contrast just to like like time of day or circadian rhythms or like, you know, no, anything along those alignment
1: lines with those it's in alignment with circadian rhythms.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cause it's always been a concept that I've struggled with where like numbers of meals say, cause when people, obviously there was a huge narrative in the fitness industry, they should eat like every two or three hours and smaller sure. portions. And like, it's still so prevalent in the fitness industry today But I'm like, I'm up for like 18 or 19 hours every single day, you know, if I ate every two or three hours, like, for one, just the chore that that would be, but then the financial impact of it and, like, just trying to lug and haul those meals around just seems like such, like, a, an inefficient system, um, you know, but, well, like, if- obviously, when does the Ayurvedic um, perspective or model come around like that there's benefits to fasting or is this kind of like where intermittent fasting came from or is that taken into consideration of why it would just be, you know, I think where intermittent
1: fasting came from because we're not supposed to eat after dark and Mm -hmm. we're supposed to, so that means that, you know, at certain times of year, you stop eating around 4.35 o'clock. Traditionally, people got up earlier and went to bed earlier. So it was easier for them to do that. Um, And then, you know, you're not supposed to eat food on top of food. So if you eat a meal with, you know, red meat in it, which takes a long time to get out of your stomach into your small intestine, and then you eat another meal right on top, right two hours later, that meal may have just passed into your small intestine. You're already sticking something else in your stomach. Mm -hmm. So the way it works is that, you should be giving three to five hours between a meal before you eat again. Because you wanna give your body the time to digest your food in stages without giving it like every stage all the time. So by eating, the idea is by eating with too much frequency, you can be putting food on top of food and you can also not be giving your body the rest that it needs in between the various stages of digestion. And then your body also can't clean out your gut. So after you know four or five hours you might start feeling like your tummy's grumbling. Your tummy's grumbling because your your small intestine is cleaning all the particles from your meal out so that in between after your small intestine cleans itself out, it's like no food was ever there ever in your entire life before. That's how well it is able to clean stuff out. So, um, so So that's why we're supposed to give room in between. And the other thing is that every time we eat, the intestinal lining gets engorged with blood because the blood is coming into contact with the nutrients. So it's pulling the nutrients out so it can send them to the rest of the body. And so if you're chronically, you know, consistently eating every couple hours, you're, um, you're re-inflaming your whole gut wall over and over and over again. And it just kind of never gets a break and it can lead to deficiency down the line and, um, and to other, like the Agni or the Digestifier can get interrupted. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't sometimes medically necessary reasons to do that, or if somebody's, I don't know anything about, you know, how one is training for the Olympics or triathlons, they they are doing something very extreme. And so they may need a totally different routine. But for the average person, that is the, you know, in generalized
0: guidance that I would give. Yeah. See, and you know, like, it's interesting how we were taught that, like, that rumbling is the sign to look for that you're hungry. You know, like, that's just always like, you know, like, oh, your stomach's growling, like, um, you know, like, oh, you're hungry, or like, if you hear somebody's stomach growling, you're like, oh, you must be hungry, or do you want something to eat or something? Well, it can't mean
1: that you're hungry, but you can also feel hungry without your stomach growling. but you're supposed to have stomach noises, right? You're yeah. There's juices coming out and stuff's getting squeezed and squished, and there's supposed to be sounds, not like an overabundance of them, but there's supposed to be something going on down there <laughs> and in yeah. there.
0: So, um, yeah. It's so, I didn't realize that the small intestine clears itself out that well. Like, that's yeah. astonishing to me that I there's know. just like everything's just completely clean, like there's never food there ever.
1: Right. If you give it that opportunity, right?
0: Yeah. See, and like, these are the things too, where it's just, I wish that there was a way that people could see how taxing it is on the body to eat, but it's just not something that like we think is there's a, there's a lot that goes on when it comes to eating. And the way that I look at that is like from the most extreme examples that we know of like calorie consumption that we can't see that fundamentally just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like Um, I don't know if you know, like the, the cognitive side of calorie burning, like those chess players that they monitor where they burn thousands and thousands of calories in chess matches. Well, what is happening there? Nobody really knows exactly what process is going on there. But at the end of the day too, it's like, if you take somebody like Michael Phelps that we know from an athletic standpoint where they're eating like 18 to 20,000 calories every day, it's like, how, like, how can your body even become so efficient at breaking down and digesting food that you could eat like 18 to 20,000 calories worth of food every day and not have major issues. And and like, where does that go? And how, like, there's just so much, like, I wish there was, you could visually watch that take place somehow. Like, it's just, it's astonishing what our bodies do in contrast to food.
1: It is, and like you said, how much energy it takes. I mean, you have people. We all have the direct experience of having overeaten and getting exhausted afterwards. Mm-hmm. That's why.
0: Yeah. Because of the, all the. Energy it. Yeah, and the one thing that I noticed the old, and this just me because I'm more aware of these subties now. Um, but it seems like the older I get, the lower my blood sugar levels get the colder I get does that make sense yeah, yeah. and it if does. I don't eat enough protein I feel like I'm never warm like does that make sense too because mm-hmm. it's like I just find like like both those things like why is body temperature associated with these things like like metabolically when we're breaking down food or like said even if I'm not eating enough protein that I just don't get warm is it, does it really control our body temperature that much? Just like simply just through eating or like when we become hungry, like why, when our blood sugar levels dip, why does that trigger being cold?
1: Why does blood sugar level trigger being cold?
0: Or like, or I guess like maybe it doesn't trigger being cold. I mean, it's a poor choice of words. Why does one or well, why would you think I, because I shouldn't speak for everybody, um, Why would I get cold when my blood sugar levels are low?
1: If anything's low, that's deficiency. And so
0: naturally just draw down the heat in the body.
1: When you, when you get colder, it's usually a sign of deficiency. If it's like a, an all over cold. Yes. That means that the, the, the young is deficient. And so then it needs to be supplemented with warming things in order to heat back up.
0: Yeah, I get colder when my blood sugar levels are low, like shiver cold. Um, then when I get out of the ice bath where it's like minus 2.5. It's a different kind eight. of
1: cold, isn't
0: it? Yeah, it's completely yeah. different. And yeah. I don't know, because like when you're when we're sitting in the ice bath, like, again, like a lot of it's like top goal, like, you know, like your skin, you know, kind of goes numb, you know, because it's freezing. And you get in there and it's actually not that cold. Like, you know, your internal core temperature drops, like you'll shiver but it's not necessarily shivering like you're cold. It's almost just like you get that concept of like you're shivering because your body's just trying to regulate itself, but you're not that cold. But like when I'm, when my blood sugar levels are low, like I feel like my entire body is just chilled, like that chill to the bone kind of feeling. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's it's very, very different. And I, I do not like to feel the cold of my blood sugar levels being low, but I can completely handle being cold. Like it's just cold outside or the yeah. water's cold or anything like that. Um, yeah. Cause what it doesn't feel right. Like when I'm just cold, cause it's cold outside or like the water's cold. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing that really feels wrong about that. Like when my blood sugar loads, that cold, that sensation that I get, it feels wrong to me. Because it's a, se- it's a sense of
1: depletion.
0: Yeah. What would be some of the potential long-term effects to that if it was something that happened regularly? And I only ask because I know a lot of people who fall into this category. Really? Um, is it something I really that- I don't
1: recommend that people fast or, or um, do a, most people do a cleanse in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. Because if they're restricting their, their diet and they're restricting, you know, the fats and the proteins going into their body in the winter- then they can experience that coldness quite easily Mm -hmm. and it's not one that you can easily shake you just can't put another sweater on and make it go away
0: no it's not at all like no matter what you do topically nothing changes that until you eat but it's like as soon as you eat you can feel the dramatic difference like inside of your body just like the satisfaction of of eating and then also you get that re-regulation of body temperature is, is is very refreshing Yes, it is. So, um, a lot of things that we do in search of like health and wellness, a lot of things are contraindicated, obviously, like with fitness, it's like, you know, we're breaking our body down, it's technically not good. But then we get this spin-off effect that is good. You know, so but again, like with fasting, like there's certain components where they say, like, well, like fasting can be good. But then obviously, we get this spin-off effect. Um, you know, like that may not be good. Like, in your opinion, like, where do we find the happy balance in that? Like, is it just surely like a personal quest or is, you know, like, cause like these are always some of the confusing things, you know, like for me as like somebody who is like an advice giver um, or an issuer, or just, you know, people seek my opinion, you know, but like it, obviously we know there's not like one shoe that fits all in like these situations. Um, but it's like, again, like the more that I talk to people like you, the more research that I do, the more like details that I find, I find that like everything is contraindicated, you know, to some extent, like you can always find the reason why you shouldn't yeah. be doing it, but you can also find the reason why you should be doing it. So right. um, like, what's, what's your opinion when it comes to like contraindicated like activities? You
1: no, know, like- it's the same as like with food, right? So I don't really think that there's like bad food and good food, you know, it, what should I be eating? What shouldn't I be eating? It's more about, you know, what's in season, what's seasonally appropriate, whether it's food or exercise, what, you know, what level, what, what does your constitution call for? What is your, what is your state at the moment call for? Um, It fluctuates. Everything is always in a, in a, in a state of flux. So are there generalizations? Yes. And then you refine it from there. So, yeah. I mean, like, you know, something that's really interesting is, um, when I, when I first went to India, the, I had been practicing Ashtanga Vinyasa yoga. And so I went to Mysore and I was, you know, proficient at first series and, I just thought I was going to get on the mat there and just go do my whole practice. And the teacher's like, no, you do, basically you do the, you do the five, first five sun salutations, then you go home. Tomorrow you come, you do Surya Namaskar A, Surya Namaskar B, then you go home. So it's like I'm doing 10 minute practice and then 12 minute practice. And then, and, and they were like, if you don't do that, you can get really sick. Oh, yeah and they were right if you rush into so it's like there's always and it was because was it because of the environment change because i had just flown you know 20 some odd hours into a completely different environment with completely different microbes and and smells and climate and everything like they knew they just knew when people first landed that they could not do the practice as they were used to doing it, they had to let their body adjust and eke into it slowly. And I did a little too much and I did get sick. They were right. (laughs) But, you know, uh, live and learn, but that's, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, who would ever have thought that, right? I would have just thought I could go and do it.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that kind of brings up another thing that I, I toss around in my mind and I challenge people with all the time too, is that, you know, we know our bodies thrive on consistency you know and that's really like i see with that like like traveling 20 hours like on a plane going to a completely different place like our our bodies aren't used to things like that it's like you know climbing up a mountain and getting altitude sickness it's like you know going into the depths of the ocean you know and you know um, getting issues there too and it's you know if if consistency is great for our body And staying like consistent with the season, consistent sleeping, you know, consistent routines, like all these things, if that's the best for our mind and our body, why do we pretty much do everything to be inconsistent or like the more consistent you, inconsistent you are, you're almost even more of like a social pariah because it's like, you know, you should, um, or no, sorry, if you keep your routine, then it's just like you're rigid or you have this rigid routine that you follow. And it's like, you know, not being consistent is like, you know, like what's valued. And like, it's like we have this like ingrained concept of us to like push back against consistency at all costs. And now it's become like overvalued like in like our social lives and like our everyday like economic lives. Um, why do you feel like we push back against something that seems like it should be um something that we just really gravitate towards.
1: Because I think that we all have monkey minds and that we're addicted to stimulation. Mm -hmm. And if you have consistency, that's boring for the mind, right? If you're not someone who's interested in seeking out peace and calm in your life and stability, if your mind wants to seek out new adventures constantly and, um, and be stimulated, then you're not gonna be as apt to resonate with, with consistency. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because less people on the planet are kapha predominant. Maybe it's because more people are vata and pittas and that translates into having a more restless mind, who knows, but our minds are definitely, as a whole, our minds are um, out of control and it's it's um and the mind is guiding the behavior really
0: yeah coming into the the winter months is there is there anything that like you do to be able to prepare for like the the winter months when you know, like we we might be a little bit more dormant or stationary just things that are available is there any advice that you give to people just like with this this seasonal change coming well, winter
1: good. winter months are the time to eat like really heavy, nourishing food you know so like meats and nuts and having like soups and and stews and things like that um, slow cooked meals um, those are really nourishing for you at a really deep level and in the winter time the heat goes deeper into the body, the yang, and so that means that the digestifier actually gets stronger. Um, and so we can digest those things more easily in the wintertime, so it's best to have them. Um, as far as, I mean, you can, because of that, you can also exercise a little heavier mm-hmm. than, say, in the summer. Like we think about it the opposite way. But really we have more stability and more juice in the winter than we do in the summer. Yeah. So it's better to, yeah, to do to, winter is a really good time to establish an exercise routine and a, you know, a, a consistency in in one's diet and in one's life because it's the, it's actually kind of the most stable time of the year I feel. And so, Um, if if we if we integrate those habits then then we're more apt to stick with them throughout the year than if we you know just dabble with them at other times when it's convenient
0: yeah I've actually find that I by like I don't know by like default I did I've recognized this now looking back at it that I always end up like lifting heavier weights in the winter time and doing more cardio in the, in the summertime. Like, I never really recognized that pattern until last year. I am mean, like, you know, like I, it, it's not something that I'd ever do by like choice or I think about it or I plan it out, but it, like, I always just try to do whatever it feels like I want to do, not what it feels like I have to do, or I'm forcing my body to do yeah. something. So like, like every every bit of physical activity I do is all based around the principle of like not planning it out and just doing what it seems like my body needs. And sometimes it's like, you can do more cardio. Sometimes you can do like a little bit more. And that's
1: the perfect, like, like recommendation for everyone. Right. Um, Give, give everybody this tool set and then let them have enough practice with it so that they can then recognize what feels right for them on any given day. Or if they need to take a day off or do it lighter on one day. Um, but having, at least having the, the, the practice or the practices under their belt so they know what is resonating with their body at any given time. And then, like you said, you're doing this every day. But you may not lay it out entirely, but you're still doing it every day. So you've still got the consistency but it may just not be the, that you're consistently going to go run 10 miles or whatever it is. Yeah.
0: yeah. See, and like, those are always the things too, like where that I find just just knowing that you're going to do something every day. And, and that's like my, my philosophy when it comes to like, you know, like health and wellness, health and fitness, like no matter what it is, I just want to try to do like one or two things every day I, I broke down the barriers that it has to be a, for a certain amount of time. It has to be a certain thing. You know, like it might be meditating for five minutes one day. You know, it might be, you know, working out for 45 one day, then sitting in the hot tub. And, you know, like there's just, I try to look at it that I just want to do something every day that prioritizes, you know, like my health and wellness so that I know that I've done something. I know that I've taken myself as a party. Like I look at like, you know, talking to you as a part of that, you know, health and wellness strategy for me, because I love talking to you. We always have great conversations. It makes me feel good. I look forward to it. Like that's mm-hmm. a part of that to me. Like, you know, like writing stuff down, I find like really is like, it really helps emotionally get a ton off my plate. Like I always feel better when I sit down, just write all the things that are on my mind and like the greatest detail that I can. And, I feel like I'm empty after that. The same way that I feel like when it comes to working out, like sometimes I just need to work out so hard. There's just nothing left of me. So I have a clean slate to be able to like restart from and like bounce back from. And I feel great because of those things. And um, I feel like that's the thing that's missing is like when people like ask me like, well, what should I do? And it's like, but everything, like everything that makes you feel good, like like literally go do all of those things, like make them all a priority because they all benefit you in a certain different way. Like when we talk is not the same benefit I get from when I work out because after we talk, I want to go work out because I'm all like jacked up with energy from having like a great conversation. So it's like, you know, but like those are the things like where we talk about. It's like the, the less barriers that I put up for myself that it has to be like this certain thing that I have found that I've been way more successful at sticking with, things and just feeling more enthusiastic about doing them because there's so much variety
1: right yeah i agree and that's oftentimes what comes up when i'm doing um an energy medicine uh session with somebody or a telehealth session it's not like there's just one thing it's like it ends up being a constellation of things Mm -hmm. that feeds their soul and their mind and their body Mm -hmm. and that is what we need to implement and For some people, the situation with COVID-19 has opened up the space in their lives where they actually can do more of those things. And I've been encouraging them to do that um, because it's a gift to be able to, but it's also something that more of us need to make a priority about doing COVID or not, whether it's journaling or painting or ceramics or running or whatever it is that makes you feel joy and makes you feel like your energy is flowing and, and feel vitality. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be joy you're feeling, but spaciousness and contentment and ease, you know, and different things will give you different aspects of those of those feelings at different times and and so like you said it's important to have all of them it's like you don't just eat protein all the time you also have carbs and fats it's like the same kind of thing
0: yeah yeah absolutely um one other topic i want to brush on um uh before we end this today is um What's next in the book writing world for you? Are you taking a break or is there another idea that you have in mind? Um, And what was it like knowing you wanted to write your first book and actually writing it? Because, you know, like I know that it seems like everybody kind of folds it around in their mind at one point in time, like, hey, I'm gonna write a book. You know, not a lot of people actually like, you know, see it through. I feel like if anybody like is going to like make those transitions into doing something now, Like, you know, this would be, like, a great opportunity for them. Like, was it scary kind of getting into the writing a book for the first time? Like, what was that like? And then do you have any plans for another one?
1: Okay. So it wasn't scary getting into writing the first book. I was looking forward to it. It was always something that I – I always loved books. So, you know, it started with that. And then um, from there, I actually – it was interesting. I went to – it's called the WESAC Festival and it's held in Mount Shasta every year. And back in the nineties, one of my teachers was teaching at it. So I went a couple of times and there was a reader there and she was like, you're going to write a book. And I was like, oh, cool. And I walked away from like, no, I'm not just going to write one book. (laughs) So it was something and that was like a really long time ago. So it was something that I always wanted to do. And so um, when I got the opportunity to do it, I jumped on it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, it was, it was was kind of easy to do because it was non, they're nonfiction books. Mm -hmm. So like, especially the first one, I just needed to make sure I got all my facts right, you know, and, and organize it well. And so that's what I did. And I did a lot of journalism courses in college and in high school and, um, so I had a, in a lot of writing and stuff. So I had a background in at least how to write somewhat well, and also how to organize things and how to edit things properly. So, you know, I had, a, I had all of that kind of in my toolkit sort of unintentionally. And then, um, yeah, I just did it. And, um, the biggest thing I was afraid of was the first book launch Um, because it seemed like the culmination of all of what I just said, plus all of a bunch of other stuff came to a head in that very moment. It was like, it was more than just the book launch. It was like astrologically things had aligned in a certain way and I was definitely feeling it. And so that was really scary. Um, and, but it was a really beautiful moment at the same time. So there was a lot of support in the room it was when we could gather in a smaller space you know um and and so that was really nice and then um to answer your second question i think which was is there another book yes. i'm thinking about it
0: ooh interesting
1: uh, yeah i started writing a little bit of something
0: yeah. So without have, get, without getting into it, like do you have like a topic in mind or are you just gotta kind of put some notes down?
1: I'm toying around with something um, more along the lines of energy medicine and self care.
0: Mm-hmm. We'll
1: see. I, I'm I'm toying with it. Interesting. You know, and I also toy with the idea of, of a children's book.
0: Oh know? cool.
1: I toy with that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Your
0: mind is always spinning.
1: My mind is spinning and so that's the problem, right? Because all of this stuff has to, something has to catch and then it has to manifest into three-dimensional reality. And I don't want to force it. Yeah. So what I want to do is to be more guided by my intuition and, and I don't know, you might say the universe or spirit or whatever, and, and do the next thing more out of, um, less out of my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Good. more out of my heart.
0: Awesome. That's a great yeah. concept to be able to live life by.
1: Yeah, well, um, I'm working on it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. Well, we'll wrap things up there. Um, I really appreciate your time. Is always, always shocked how fast the time goes by. And I, I look I to these every single month. I just absolutely I look
1: forward to it as well. It's never it's never an issue to carve the time out of the schedule for yeah. this.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess we won't see each other till after Christmas, so Merry Christmas to you. I to know.
1: Merry Christmas to you, too, and to everyone watching or listening.
0: Okay. Thank you. Have a great day.
1: You, too. Bye-bye.